Hello and welcome to the Voice of Manhattan Business. I'm your host, Andre Archambault. On this weekly show, we explore the challenges and issues facing businesses in Manhattan. We cover everything here from taxes to land use to loads of tips and tricks to help you grow your business, your practice, or your life. First off, a little bit about me, and then we'll get right to my guest. Uh, I've been working in the media business uh, for over 20 years. I've also been a Manhattanite for 20 years this year, but I've been around the city my whole life. Uh, I work for a company called Reach Local, which is a digital ad agency for local business, and I also host a mostly weekly show dedicated to um, the greatest music ever made called New York Standard, where you'll hear songs from the jazz world, Broadway, cabaret, and of course, standards. But enough about me. Let me introduce you to today's guest. Robert Schwartz is the president and owner of Enneslow Pedorthic Enterprises. Bob, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, thanks so much, uh, Andre. Um, I have been in the comfort shoe business for the last 43 years. Came over in 1973 after a 10-year career at Playtex, where I was in sales and marketing management for them. So my Playtex training gave me great basics in consumer packaged goods marketing and in best practices in wholesale sales to retailers and then the retailers through the consumer. And so when I came into the NSLO company, uh, a retail business primarily, I was really prepared to deal with all of the consequences of retail in terms of sales and marketing and promotion and things like that. NSLO is a unique company. Its primary purpose is to help people whose feet hurt find footwear that makes them feel good and because we are a modern company that's kept up with fashion trends and style trends and color trends and wardrobe trends we tend to provide footwear that actually looks as good as it feels our staff are all uh, credentialed uh, pedorthic professionals Uh, we all go to school we learn biomechanics we learn how to help people with their footwear foot care needs and we are um, a 108-year-old company, um, with me running it since 1973. Uh, it's been an exciting run. And so, you know, today we really sh- share the fact that we offer uniqueness that helps people that so far hasn't been able to completely taken over by the Internet. Sure. I mean, so how have you addressed uh, the fact that you're in – such a, a unique niche, and yet you've got, I mean, and, you know, for our listeners, uh, they would all likely know the challenges facing retail today uh, and retail in Manhattan today. How are you uh, answering that? How are you addressing that as a business owner? Right. Well, first of all, let's talk about the issues. You've got double taxation. You've got increases in all costs, insurance, taxes, rent, uh, payroll, uh, benefits, uh, entitlements, I guess would be another word for that. So everything is going up in cost. At the same time, since the Lehman Brothers, uh, September 2008, uh, business has been tremendously affected by an economic downturn, which certainly affected us. Then on top of that, we've had some traumas like Sandy, uh, which happened uh, in, in Uh, in 2011, and uh, the Internet. 
the internet has really become the major uh, killer to brick and mortar businesses like mine, particularly focused on shoes and apparel. Uh, our difference is that we offer footwear that you can't find in, on the internet to some extent. We offer uh, benefits to people by helping them find solutions to their foot-related problems that you can't just, you know, order shoes and then figure out what to do and to get fitted properly in the right size shoe, in the right style shoe, in the right shape of shoe, in the right for the right purposes for your working lifestyle, for your casual lifestyle, for your athletic lifestyle, whatever, for summer, winter, spring, and fall, we have specialty footwear to accommodate your needs. And the way we are able to compete and stay in business is I literally go to Europe four times a year finding factories that are not available, shoes that are not available in the United States, bringing them over and offering better value to my customers because I'm able to buy them direct from factories rather than through distributors here in the United States and pass through those savings to my customers. So we are able to maintain our competitive advantage with unique products as well as the unique way we pedorthically help people solve their problems. So it, it sounds like, uh, you know, what, let me ask you this maybe. From when you took over uh, the operation and you said 1973 to today, uh, what's the biggest change that you've seen inside the business, outside the business? Uh, how are you sort of adapting as, as, as things have gone? Well, you know, best practices, even five years ago, is really won't keep you in business today. So if you go back 43 years ago, best practices were really, if you help people, it didn't really matter how kind you were, how caring you were, how empathetic you were, not that we weren't, but the need-based customer was coming in and she wasn't going anywhere else uh, because there wasn't really that many places, although there were many more than there are today. Um, today, you have to not only do best practices in terms of solving people's foot-related problems, providing them with the footwear they want to buy, not just what they need to buy, but you have to do it with a very, very high level of empathy, compassion, patience, perseverance, um, flexibility, adaptability, because really the consumer, after she buys a pair of shoes from you or a pair of orthotics from you or something over the counter that's readily available, can go online and reorder it forever without ever coming back to you. So the experience they have to have has to be very, very high level, very, very very loving, if you will, and that's what our staff works on each and every day. We have full-time customer service personnel in addition to sales personnel. We make custom orthotics. We make custom shoes. We do shoe modifications. We do shoe makeovers. We'll take the most beautiful shoe that causes pain and convert it into the most comfortable shoe a customer could possibly own. So people bring their own shoes to us the fashionistas who want to wear the famous fashion brands, and then we make them more comfortable so they can enjoy them. So that's kind of how we've survived. Um, business is still tougher than it was in 2008 before Lehman Brothers. It's never really recovered to where it was then. So it's a struggle. So what do you have to do? You have to manage your costs, manage your personnel, manage your training. We run a full-time training program so everyone who comes wow. in here goes through a full 
training program, we in our Park Avenue and 32nd Street location, we have a state-of-art workshop where all of our work is done, all of our shoes are modified, all of our orthotics are made, our custom shoes are designed from old-world craftsmen who have been with us for decades mm. in a state-of-the-art laboratory. Uh, where we have ergonomically designed machinery and equipment. We have air filtration, dust extraction systems in place so that our workshop in our basement is still an environment that's as good as you're going to find, you know, on the main floor, getting fresh air from outside. Also, we're in three locations. Uh, We're on the Upper East Side at 2nd Avenue and 79th Street. We're in Little Neck, Queens, on Horace Harding Expressway and Marathon Parkway in Little Neck. And we're at Park Avenue and 32nd Street at 470 Park Avenue South, which is our world headquarters and um, where we have our offices, our factory, as well as our uh, retail environment that people come to. Now, do, I'm guessing, given the, the fact that you've got those three locations, um, uh, I'm guessing that, that there are also folks who would reach out to you outside the tri-state area, outside the New York area? Outside of America. Outside uh, of America? <laughs> yeah, because, because we are a unique company, and when people discover how we can help them, they'll come from anywhere because sure. that's what they need to do. Now, we don't do a lot long distance unless they've already been to us, and we can reproduce uh, the same work we did before. We keep uh, we keep uh, information on everybody. We have a record in the in the computer of each customer's purchase history. Oftentimes, we'll keep casts or impressions or, or footprints and other sure. things that we use. Uh, so we'll have them to help people. But we are probably one of a handful of companies in the United States of America that offer a full retail shoe store as well as full, full orthopedic and pedorthic services, and where we can not only dispense on the premises, but actually fabricate and, and, uh, and modify on the premises. Hmm. Now, I heard you say something uh, earlier, and um, I, 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 you know, when, when, when business owners talk about their target customer, I, I, I picked up on something you said. You said, she... Yeah, what's the split between male female that come into the store, gender wise? I would say the gender split is probably between seventy five and eighty percent women, wow, and between twenty and five and twenty five percent men. Hmm. And there's a lot of reasons for it. First of all, women have the pocketbooks today in the family, and we spend money on ourselves as women faster than we spend money on ourselves as men. Sure. They tend to be more conservative. Men have a smaller wardrobe of shoes. Sure. Men wear more conservative footwear and are less likely to have shoe-caused foot disorders. But mm. when you wear high heels or you wear pointy toes or you want to, or you wear flats with no support or you wear flip-flops with no support, you're dealing with things <laughs> that are going to give you trouble on this concrete planet that we walk on. That's <laughs> true. And, and frankly, most people wear shoes over time, they become too small. And the reason they become too small is because our feet get bigger. I, you know, it's funny. In the, uh, a question or two ago, a point you were making about sort of change, and it, and, and it, it triggered a thought. Uh, 
I know that our our ears continue to grow as as we age. I know uh, our nose noses continue to grow as we age. I did not know that our feet continue to grow. Short of you know, I mean, if if you if you uh, all things being equal, I would I would have imagined that that one's feet, foot uh, would stay the same. But you're you're saying that that's not the case. Correct. And the reason is a number of reasons. One is gravity. You know, I was five feet, ten inches tall when I was a teenager. I'm now five seven. I'm seventy six, and I'm five feet seven inches tall. So gravity is pulling me down, and gravity is also resulting in more and more pressure and forces at the bottom of our bodies, the feet. Mm. And remember, the concrete doesn't give way, the wood floor doesn't give way, the the only place you give way is in sand or gravel or, or sure. grass or dirt, and we don't walk on those things. So the foot, over time, is splaying, it's spreading out, it's elongating, sure. the arch is flattening. And if you just sure. think about it, if you spread out your hands and you've made a nice arch of your hands, a nice cupping of your hands, and then you've kind of lowered it down, you could see that your hand significantly increases. Well, that in size, well, that's exactly what happens with the feet. So at 35, sure. I came into this business and I was uh, no longer a size eight and a half, which is what I was when I came to the business in 1973. Uh, I was 32. By 34, 35, I was uh, already a nine and a half. Wow. I went from a sedentary job in a corporate office to an on-my-feet-all-day job in a retail environment and climbing stairs and up and down ladders and all those things. Uh, wow. The feet needed to give way a little bit. Of course. And as it did, the feet got bigger. And, of course, I had plantar fasciitis and other foot-related problems as my feet got bigger because that's part of what happens. As your feet change, it does cause problems. So I learned how to manage my own feet. And, frankly, I've always had foot problems. So I've spent most of the last 76 years managing my own foot problems and as I've done that, I've learned how to manage everybody else's. <laughs> and so, you know, that's really been one of the keys is understanding from personal experience how to help other people. I can imagine. I mean, that that uh, you mentioned earlier, the ability to the, the need today to empathize and sympathize with your customer. Uh, it's it's less and less a transactional world. And for you to be able to uh, directly relate to your customers, that's got to be a tremendous uh, benefit uh, at every level, not only not only with your with your customers, but then also I'm guessing and I, I actually was really impressed to hear the training program and, and the workshops that you run um, so that your employees are on top of what they're needing to do. Thank you. I you know, I've spent my career as a student of the science I'm in, which happens to be uh, foot related conditions, biomechanics and things like that. Sure. Um, I was always a worker bee. So as a worker bee, I was never afraid of new challenges and things like that. And as a result, I, um, uh, this was a natural fit that I didn't know about. Also, yeah. I want to share the fact that I'm fourth generation in my family doing this work. And so the, um, uh, the history behind me is very deep and very rich. And I think in some ways, foot care and foot health is in my DNA. Mm. Um, as we go back to my great-great-grandfather in Hungary making custom shoes, my great-uncle, my father and uncle, my brother, myself, my children, 
and my son, my brother's children are all in the business. My brother and his children are in the business my father started, which is a wholesale manufacturing business, whereas NSLO was bought by the family in 1968 because my father um, uh, felt that this was a business that was pretty much anti-recession proof. Mm, Even though it's not anti-recession proof, it is at least you can stay in business even during the toughest times. 80% of your customers will stay with you no matter what else is happening in the marketplace. Mm. So that's been, and again, because we do something that very few people do. We change people's lives. So that's, that's the key here. What, just out of curiosity, what's, what's your, and I got, I have to figure there are thousands, hundreds, thousands uh, of examples, but tell, tell us a, uh, a favorite story of a, a, a customer, a client. What actually? That's a, do you call your 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 uh, your patrons customers or clients or patients? Given the well, we call the them. That's a great question. We call them all three because if they come from a, <laughs> a doctor, sure, then they're the doctor's patients, so they become our patient. Mm. If they come from a friend or from a on their own, then they're either a customer or a client, however you want to describe that. Those are, to me, synonymous. Um, client makes it sound a little bit more personal, which I think more reflects our relationship with our customers, because as you use the word transactional, we're not transactional because yeah. we can't be. Sure. We, it takes us twice as much time to solve everybody's foot problems than when they walk into the standard shoe store. You know, sure. we're sitting, we're asking open-ended probing questions. We're learning about their lifestyle. We're learning about their foot conditions. We're learning about other medical conditions. We're learning about what their their work is, what their seasonality needs are. What what do they need for a house shoe? You know, what yeah. do you wear around the house? You're walking around barefooted around the house and you've got a collapsed arch. Mm. I, I would say from a story point of view, I would talk more about some of the generalized things that we take care of that seem to be most successful. Mm. So certainly people with some deformities, foot deformities, bunions, hammer toes, things that the foot is not in its normal shape, Mm. a charcomerie tooth, a diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, um, there's just MS, multiple sclerosis, these are deformities that go beyond just needing a comfortable pair of shoes. We have to understand how the body functions from the foot up and from the ground and from the foot down to the ground. And mm. what can we do to optimize balance, alignment, gait, posture? All of those things are part of the mix of how we help people. So if they've got a leg length discrepancy, one leg is longer than the other. Most of the times, the referrals are not going to include how much of a discrepancy. We're going to have to evaluate that ourselves. And even in that circumstance, it's more of an art than a science. Because (laughs) if you've had a leg length discrepancy for years, all of your joints and soft tissue have adapted and changed and remodeled themselves to that discrepancy. So let's say you had a one-inch discrepancy. You can't replace that one inch with a one-inch elevation because the body has adapted to the that difference by hip joints and knee joints and ankle joints and foot joints and you know up all and the back joint all the whole body is adapting and changing. 
So you have to work with the client to see what's optimum in terms of um, uh, uh, heel height, etc., etc. Um, uh, let me just think about some other things that are meaningful. I would say the most popular problem that people run into is plantar fasciitis and heel spur-related problems. And the reason is, again, I talked about the foot getting longer and flattening out. When we look at people who go from a, a, a sedentary lifestyle to an active lifestyle, their feet are tighter, they're less flexible, they're less muscular because they're not using them. And now they go hiking on vacation and their feet are now under a demand that's really unrealistic. So those are the kinds of things that we see there. We see a lot of forfeit problems with the hammer toes, the bunions, the neuromas, the metatarsalages, all of the things in the front of the foot often caused by overuse, repetitive stress, caused by tight, ill-fitting shoes, shoes not without enough support, uh, obesity and, and overweight, which just puts so much pressure on the feet as well as the knees, actually. And so I would say those are the two biggest categories. The result is the arch collapse is um, uh, is something that's happening. The foot's getting longer, arches collapsing in. And we have to provide more stability and support to a, to mitigate the problems that are happening over time. I would imagine. That's got to be. Uh, uh, so if someone comes to you uh, today, uh, five years from today, they may have a very different range of, of uh, or, or or their issue may be a bit of a moving target, it sounds like. Well, our bodies are moving targets. Sure. You know, we're changing over the years. We're not the same at 76 as we were at 56 or 36 or 16. It just is a is a perpetual you know, the only thing that remains constant is change. Yeah, it's a simple, true. simple concept. Everything that's happening starts with change. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So let me ask you this, Bob. Um, what do you see as you know one of the greatest challenges uh, facing business uh, today, uh, either in Manhattan or you know around the country? Really, I mean, to me. Uh, you know, to some degree, business is business. Obviously, every every nook and cranny and niche is different. But what do you see are some of the great challenges? Well, I would start with brick and mortar retail struggles because the consumer has changed to buying habits. She's now shopping online. She's pre-qualifying any brick and mortar she goes to. If you don't have a website, she doesn't even know who you are or what you do. And so you may not even be in the mix of possible um, uh, shopping. So brick and mortar has been tr tremendously adversely affected by the Internet. Amazon has taken share like nobody else. Amazon spent its first 20 years not making a dollar's profit. They spent the first 15 years losing money deep, deep, deep. But at the same time, they offered products that consumers didn't have to pay sales tax in New York City and New York State, you have to pay sales tax if you buy shoes at $109.99 or above. You know, $110 and above, you have to pay sales tax. Uh, with Amazon and a lot of these companies that weren't in New York State with their own businesses, you don't have to pay sales tax. So the consumer started to see discount advantages. Another thing is that the vendors, our vendors, who were our resource, 
are now our competitors. They have their own websites. They have their own outlet centers. They have their own retail stores. So they're hurting us tremendously. And then the culture of retail's traditional approach, big box retail, really minimum customer service. Um, So the smaller businesses like mine that focus on service and uniqueness were able to hold on. Now let's add New York City's cost of doing business. As I mentioned (laughs) at the beginning of the conversation, every cost has gone up and revenue has gone down. So we've just basically said, okay, we're going to go find, um, we're going to go find a solution uh, by finding products that are not currently distributed in the United States, and that offer the benefits of our unique products and services. You know, finding more stylish footwear, more comfortable footwear, better price value equation for the consumer. Because when you bring a company over from Europe and you set up a distribution organization and a sales organization and warehousing and management, and you have to double the cost to the retailer, therefore doubling the cost to the consumer of what the product would sell for where its home is, let's say in Europe where I buy most of my shoes. Um, I buy them from European companies that are distributed here. So they have to charge much more here than they do in their European countries where they uh, the cost uh, is, is much lower because they don't have the double cost. So that's one of the things I think every retailer, every small business owner has to do. Continue to work harder, to fight harder, to create more uniqueness that's really needed, wanted, and desired rather than just being a price-driven business or any of those things. And, sure. Um, sorry about that. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So anyway, the the you know that's basically it. It's it's only the strong survive. Uh, <laughs> only those who are students. Only those who are willing to adapt and change. Only those who are going to continue to find answers and solutions for their customers before their customers even know they need them. If you wait for the customer sure. to ask you for something, it's probably already distributed in your in your competitors' uh, businesses. You've got to be ahead of the curve. In New York City, if you're not an innovator, in my opinion, you have no chance of surviving. Mm, sure, sure, sure. Oof, yeah, it's funny. I, I um, you know, yeah, one of the one of the things that's so as as a consumer, yeah, when I take my business hat off and I'm just a consumer, which is uh, you know, just like anybody is is tough to do. But nevertheless, when I do do that. And I'm running around uh, Manhattan or New York City or or really anywhere in the tri-state area, but Manhattan in particular, you do see that shift with um, the, the big box stores and the, the lack of, of customer service. And, you know, um, you hear it all the time. You get what you pay for. And so uh, if, if you're driving real value and real relationship, you uh, you disrupt that transactional aspect of because for most people, and, and when I say most people, I, you know, I, I don't know percentages, I'm just sort of spitballing here. But for most people, they're not necessarily buying uh, 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 pedorthic or orthotics. Uh, but those that are, that's where your uniqueness really rises to the top, I would imagine. 
Thank you. Yes, I mean, that's exactly right. And remember, our competitor is not just uh, the person buying shoes elsewhere. It's also the person using all of the disposable income to buy uh, iPhones and, and, and all those sure. kind of things. So, sure. uh, and then you you have the, the, the price-driven business, uh, DSW and, and other sure. price retailers are focusing on offering substantial discounts, and the consumer is really king and queen right now. They have many options, so they don't have to buy from you. So you better offer them something that takes them far past their shoe shopping experience or whatever. It's about impacting their lives in a very powerful and positive way. Sure. You know, Macy's just announced that they're going to a self-service shoe department's. So if you want to go buy shoes at Macy's, you're going to basically have to do it on your own. Are you going to know the right size, the right style, the right fit, the right design for your needs? Are you going to know the different features of the footwear so it so that you're picking something that really works for you? Not likely if you don't have much customer service there to support you. So I think the big box people mentality is evolving in a direction far away from ours. Sure. And I'm happy to say that you know we still... Uh, believe in our tried and true model. The products are different. You know, modern products look different. They're fresher. They're lighter weight. They have a lot of things more stylish. But the principles are exactly the same. Mm, sure, sure. No, that's true. Just out of curiosity, we discussed this earlier. The range of of things that that you guys do. What's the what's the percentage? Uh, you know, are are um, what's the real driver in your business? Is it, is it the uh, the woman who's coming in to get her her um, uh, you know seven hundred dollar shoes refitted? Is it someone coming in? I mean, what's the split? Just curious. I would say that I would say that the core customer is a professional working class woman and man, but they work for their living. They are not rich. They do not have a, a, a lot of extra disposable income. But they have a standard for themselves that is their style, that is their lifestyle, that is their standard of care that they want. And they're, they're independent women. They're not following the fashionista's latest trends, latest moment. Sure. They, they made up their own story. They've decided who they are, whether they like man-tailored styling or more fashionable styling or tailored styling or dressier styling or casual styling they know who they are and they want to get footwear that looks the way they want it to look but feels the way they need it to feel and that's our core customer and 90 percent of our business is ready-made shoes that we sell on the fitting stool with a pedorthist sitting at the fitting stool measuring fitting delivering the optimum footwear for that consumer under 10 percent of our business is custom so wow. we are able to solve most problems with over-the-counter ready-made solutions or customized solutions sure. where we can take a ready-made shoe and make little modifications to it to make it better. Wow, that really is. When you say niche, you mean niche, <laughs> right? So why don't you tell us a little bit more about the uniqueness? I'll ask two questions. Tell us a little bit about the uniqueness of... Uh, of what NSLO does, and then back that up with a, maybe a business tip uh, for our listeners. The best way anyone's going to experience what I'm talking about is to come into one of the NSLO locations 
and get their feet measured, which we don't charge for, and have their feet evaluated, which we don't charge for. And we have a computer technology to actually look at the pressure points under the foot called I-STEP. We do old-fashioned mat technology where we literally have you walk over a platform and that we can see exactly how your foot works. So come on in and we'll be very happy to measure you, see what size you are today and things like that. But, you know, from from a business point of view, uh, business is not just about that. It's also about some other very important things. The two things that I advocate for the most are one is be run your business from the middle. Don't run it from the back or from the front. Run it from the middle. So become the hub of the wheel of your business so you can see what's going on, not in front of you, not behind you, but all around you as well. And think about where you need to be physically to do that, where you need to be mentally to do, do that. How are you communicating with your staff so that you really have an in-depth feel for what's going on? I have 38 employees. I have three shoe stores. I have a custom shoe department. I can't be everywhere all the time, but once a week we have staff meetings in which we review all of our principles. Once a week we have management meetings in which we review all of our action plans and some of our strategic plans. Uh, And that way I am hearing from the leaders on the team and the people in the team who want to share what they know. And and by understanding deeply what's going on around me, I can adapt and change because my role is to look to tomorrow, to find tomorrow's needs today while also managing today because I'm a small business. I can't have layers of management. We're sure. a flat company. Everyone's a worker, including me, but I'm the one boss over all the workers. Sure. So that's, that's my perspective on, on the business principles. The other perspective is on cash flow management. I really believe if you're not managing your cash flow, you're in, you're in high risk. You have to know how much money you have now, how much money you will have next week, and how much money you will anticipate having based on your buying, your selling, your costs of doing business, uh, the, the liquidity needs that you have. For example, in our case, we're seasonal. The first quarter of the year is always extremely painful. It's yeah, the sure. winter, the weather is cold, people aren't coming out, they're not buying shoes, they're not buying sandals, so they're buying only need-based. We haven't had good winters in terms of selling boots, so the boot business has been mediocre. So how am I going to get through the first quarter of the year uh, from a cash flow point of view? Because the pain doesn't actually start showing up until March and April where I've run out of cash to pay my bills. So how do I anticipate? Do I have a line of credit with the bank to get me through the slow period? Do I have a an allocation of my purchases and my accounts payable to match up with my sales and my accounts receivable. So, you know, what is the timing of all of that? And certainly you might get away with things for a period of weeks or months, but if you start falling behind, and I've been there, so I'm I'm talking from experience. If you start falling behind where it's going to take you years to catch up, you better sit down with your vendors and your creditors and say, whoa, I need to reevaluate our financial relationship what will it take for me to be able to pay you off over time so I can continue to have liquidity to run my business? Or how can I reduce costs, purchases? Most people think that labor is fixed. Mm. And labor isn't fixed. Labor is variable. You can take your, first of all, cut your own pay. 
as a business leader, as a business sure. owner, as the head of the company, cut your own pay. Cut out all unnecessary expenses. Think about laying off staff that are not needed at this time. If it's seasonality, mm-hmm. let them take a hiatus and come back. Maybe they go to four days instead of five days during a slow period. But use every. Think about all your costs. Are you getting the best deal on your business insurance? Are you getting the best deal? You know, have you negotiated with your landlords to make sure that they're working with you to help you get through these these tough periods? So that's my other principle. My other principle is cash flow management critical. Yeah, sure. I'm, and I'm guessing one of the things that intrigued me out of our uh, conversation today was. Um, uh, the idea that you you travel to uh, all parts of the globe looking for the best products at the at the at the best prices. Actually, I, I want to correct myself in that you said very specifically, if I recall, you you travel to Europe four I times. I do because a year. I've tried, I've done South, I've done Brazil, I've done other places, and and I found that Europe is where I'm going to get quality standards. The type mm-hmm. of business, for example, I'm in a comfort shoe business. The sure. Germans have always been great engineers and have always made great products sure. in the footwear field. Uh, so going to Germany makes a lot of sense. So I go to Germany twice a year. I go to Italy twice a year mm. to, because the Italians make beautiful footwear that also is in the comfort field. And then I will look around. I might take a. I, I just took a recent trip to Portugal to work with a couple of factories and to learn more about that market. I've been to Brazil a few times because Brazil is a big manufacturer of footwear as well. So I'm always looking, and of course, here in the United States, we have companies, but most of them will come to me here in New York, and I can meet them right here. I don't have to leave town, although there are shows outside of town. Sure, sure, sure. I just, I you know, uh, that I found that particularly impressive uh, but I guess that's what you, that's that's what you have to do in in your sort of a business if you're going to maintain that niche, and then um, ba- balancing that against cash flow management. I'm guessing if you're uh, does does your you know whatever stage of liquidity you are at a particular time does that inform what that trip uh, to Europe that next trip to Europe is going to be like, or or are you at a point where uh, you know that you've got the three locations. There's there's quote unquote enough business to substantiate the trip. You don't have to necessarily worry about those uh, micro decisions. Well, I always worry about micro decisions <laughs> because cash flow management includes expense management, includes sure. prioritizing, in, in, includes a lot of things that we would not uh, be thinking about if we're not thinking about cash flow management. So I I try to be as efficient as possible, get as much done as possible. If I'm going to take a vacation, I try to extend it at the end of a business trip or at the beginning of a business trip rather than having double expenses and things like that. Uh, I'm always looking for improving what we do and how we do it because you cannot rest on your laurels. It isn't the same as yesterday. It doesn't exist that way. So... And tomorrow is going to be different. And what was good today won't be good tomorrow because circumstances are always changing. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for very sure. Well, listen, Bob, this was a really insightful conversation. I'm not at all surprised. You and I have known each other uh, off and on for the last uh, 10, 12 years anyhow. And uh, it's always a joy to run into you. It's always a joy to uh, go into the stores and uh, and see what NSLO has uh, has to offer. So, uh Uh, Thanks so much for joining us this week.
Thank you. It's great talking to you. That was Robert Schwartz, president and owner of the Enneslow Foot Comfort Center. You can find his locations at 470 Park Avenue South at 32nd Street, 1504 2nd Avenue at 79th Street, and uh, 249-38 Horace Harding Expressway out in Little Neck, Queens. Again, I thank Bob for joining us. Also, thanks so much to you for listening. My name is Andre Archambault, and you've been listening to The Voice of Manhattan Business. Have a great week, everybody.